Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. Welcome to The Company We Keep. Today, we want to explore, discuss, dive into the various types of relationships that we've seen blossom and die and re-blossom again throughout life. The similarities that you'll notice between how maybe one friend or relationship looks like another, how you look the same and different in each one of the relationships. The one that, uh, you know, we've got a list here. We're, we're going to kind of go down a few of them. But the, the one that really kind of spoke to me to start this off was uh, the inspiration from the awkwardness of changing a service relationship. Because you know how that is. You'll get into uh, a relationship like a mechanic. And the one that I'm really getting to without holding off too much longer is like a dentist. You know, these are people that you get into a relationship. You know, you know you're going to see them. You're talking two, three, four times a year. So that gives it some sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, concreteness. Like there's a foundation for connection to happen there. And it even in those ones that can be as superficial as just I see them three or four times a year and they work on my teeth or my car, those could still be tough to separate from. They eventually mold into friendships, but you want it in those relationships with a dentist is a funny one because – a dentist has real intimate access to who you are. Like there's very few people on this planet you allow to enter your body in the way that you allow a dentist. Uh, but boy, I, I think back about the dentists I've had in my life and um, man, I ghost every single one of them. E- either because an insurance provider changed or maybe the relationship I have with the dentist has never really anchored me to the dentist. That's a very interesting one. I, I wonder if they prepare dentists in college for the chance that nobody wants to see them. Yeah, your rejection. Even you're out in public, if somebody comes across you at a Walmart and you're a dentist, do you think eye contact is immediately followed by head down? Eye contact, break eye contact. Eye contact, break eye contact. Like, Do they prepare the dentist for that reality, or is that something he just slowly has to adapt to? Well, you, you wonder if, if they notice. They have to. I, if we ever get a chance to have one on, I, I would be curious. We to should ask. have one on just to answer that question because a dentist does play a massive role in your life. If you ever have mouth pain, you got, you got a tooth problem, man, you, a dentist now is beyond a godlike character. Like, yeah. He can solve a pain for you that nobody else on this planet can. And so there are times when you really want that dentist. And I've had several of those with the one that, that I've transitioned from. I, I'm still not okay with it. <laughs> you know, I, I understood uh, your ghosting philosophy, uh, and I did that same thing up, you know, your lower 20s. You, you go as little as possible, and if it hurts, you go in. They say, oh, you need a filling. You get the filling done. You never want to go back. There's a nagging You never want to go back. Yeah. I, I just never had any sort of uh, devotion, so to speak, with one. It always feels like you should be there more often than you are. And oh, then yeah. it also kind of catches you. It feels like they're catching you, like you've taken a five-minute hall pass and you're out on about 10 or 12 minutes. It always feels like I should have been there or I'm not flossing enough. So it's a great relationship to avoid. Yeah, I, 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 again, I can't say enough how much that that has to be in existence where you've got to just get okay with being ghosted. You've got to be okay with whenever you see someone in the grocery store, you know that they they look down and run away because they don't feel like coming up to yeah, you. Yeah, but and, I bet there's and a- acknowledging that they haven't flossed lately. That by by running in and talking to your dentist, it brings to the forefront how well your oral care is all at once. I and bet most you, of us aren't comfortable enough with that. I bet you also get some humans that will run up to you in the produce. I'll crank open their lower lip and go, what do you think about this molar? Oh, God. Could you I, imagine I, that happening? I guarantee you it's not a straight line. It's not all run and avoid. Oh. I bet there are so there is a little element of popularity there that a dentist may not want. Man, if you got people coming up and just walls. showing you rancid teeth, I guess being ghosted is probably a, it's better than that. I've heard it's a tough thing. I've heard it's a thankless profession. It's they a say there's dude. high suicide rates in it, and they I don't know what all they attribute it to, but just from the social standpoint, just going back rejection. to people's mouths every day, <laughs> going back to people's mouths, man. And again, it is a noble profession because God knows we need them. But um, 
Yeah, that going back into people's mouths and then almost understanding their problems by way of their mouth. Is this guy hitting the sugar a little too hard? This guy knows if you smoke. He yeah. knows if you drink. He knows how much <laughs> coffee you've been on. Like he's studying the leftover evidence of your your life through your mouth. So it's a strange relationship. So you have a dentist now that you bailed on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lost that loving feeling, or what? What I, happened? Oh, it, it's it's been tough. Like I said we. It, I'm going on 20 years with Ooh, the dentist. Wow. Yeah, they really became. A bit of like a family member. That's what I, I would just kind of have almost objectify almost any service. Anymore. So what happened? It's real easy to do. What happened then? What, what do you make you mad or what? It Insurance. Insurance oh. that can dictate so much of how we pay for and how we get ourselves taken care of. And in this, this world of insurance, it just financially didn't match up for me to keep going there. I was essentially paying about twice as much as I needed to for the, the same care I could probably get somewhere else. So I mean, not to take away from the dentist I was going yeah, to, but, but you I did. doubt you that, ended it. I doubt anybody else is twice as good. I do believe there are many good dentists out there, and I really don't know if I need to be paying twice as much for one than the other. So what you're telling me is relationships have a cost. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, a there's a point where a diminishing return is realized for the amount that you or having to pay to get that relationship to perform, in this case, the function that you need, which if you don't have dental problems, if you're just getting your teeth cleaned every now and then, uh, it's you, know, you can go years with no real dental complication. They're just in there carving the butter out between your teeth. That's not something that you need an extra you know, 200% worth of expense for. But it's interesting because we will throw that relationship. That's 20 years of loving care of that dude looking in your grill. And when you discovered there was a little bit cheaper option, he went to the curb. Hey, hold on. Now, it wasn't a little bit. I mean, we're talking, it was like double what Did I you paid. give him a chance? And I even went, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. I, I kept going ah, well. years, really. I, I did not do this easily. The only thing that I, I don't like is how abrupt and there was never like a breakup note. <laughs> like, yeah, I, what is the appropriate note? I, I have I don't no idea. Know. Right now, to this day, I would have to say he's probably one of the top five people I would dread running into in public. Is it possible? And it's not because I dislike him or he's giving me a bad service or anything in any way, shape, or form. It's just a bizarre relationship that has now come to a very normal end, and I'm not quite sure how I'd handle if I ran into someone like that in public. Well, it's, it's interesting because you don't know exactly how much you mean to him. Oh, yeah. You yeah, could be one of 300. He may not even remember your last name. He may not remember your first name. The, the dentist that I just stopped going to for, usually it's my wife schedules my dentist. I'm, I'm not. Remember when your mom used to buy your pants for you at a younger mm -hmm. age? That's that's now become my relationship with my dentist. My wife kind of handles it. So, But I know we make changes every now and then for, for insurance purposes. And never once has it dawned on me until you brought up this conversation that, well, I've never felt anything other than like, okay, I'm not going there. That means I'll go over here now. Literally, like, the difference between going to McDonald's one day and Burger King the next. I never felt a relationship, and I just wonder if that's the way it is for everybody with a dentist. Well, that's what I was getting at. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can start objectifying someone that you're paying as a service provider. Yeah. But if you really think down to it, what you're doing is you're paying for a friend. So that's that's a little bit of a tough analogy to swallow when you're talking about getting your teeth cleaned because rarely are you sitting with your friend like hey you mind checking out my tooth real quick doesn't really happen but think about this if you had to move today who would you call i wouldn't call my dentist well no but we're talking friends yeah i would call if somebody has a truck no so Wrong you're answer? talking you would stick with it all right no i'm curious so you're going equipment is going to dictate who you first of come all come and spend your weekend moving all your stuff with a, a move is something that i would never bother my friends with that that to me feels like about like asking somebody to go to a wedding on a on a super bowl sunday like i, I just i have used my friends in, in the 20s for those functions but now i'm not i'm not using friends for 
Maybe I missed your greater point. No, but. you're hitting right on. It's just you're hitting it from a different place. Because, yes, right now, neither one of us would burden a friend enough with come, hey, move my stuff, really. If I had to move one thing, I'm with you. One thing's Call different. Call the guy that's yeah. got the truck. But if I'm if I'm moving my life, yes. that is such a commitment. So, that, yeah, that's what I'm talking. Like, that that kind of move. That's not something you do throughout every age of your life. But when you're in your 20s, you you got to have, like, you got to think. You're moving a lot. Who's going to move? Yeah. Who, you, you're so going to get evicted a, a couple times. Your friend comes to help you move. So whenever you pay movers, it's like you're essentially paying for that friend. Yeah, you are. And I bring that up because I, I went through a, a chunk of life with, without even completely knowing, like, who am I going to call if I needed to move? I don't remember whenever I, I'd, I'd heard of this concept, like, but it just sort of uh, it speaks to you knowing who your friends are that would come spend time with you. Not only if they didn't have to, but if it's completely inconvenient or unpleasant for them, yeah. they'd still show up. It's you. kind of a precursor to who would change my diaper. It's, oh. not, that, it's not that far away, though. Because <laughs> you're, you're, nobody wants to help anybody move. That is solely a display of friendship. That's all that is. But I think there's some other interesting service-related relationships that I have a relationship with one of my HVAC guys. That yeah, that's a good one. I know he calls me back. I know he'll crawl and do an issue with me. He's involved in an issue right now. It's not going to make him much money at all. And because he's doing that, I look for opportunities where I can give him bigger work. And and I don't know if this is just a good guy doing something because he and I have some connection, but when you get somebody like that in 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 the trades for me, when you get a guy, and in this case it's my HVAC guy, that's a great place to be. And sometimes your one guy can lead you to your next guy. I don't have a plumber right now. But if I needed a plumber, I would call my HVAC guy and go, hey, I got this going on. And he'd be like, yeah, I saw this guy. I know this guy from this job. Because they all interwork, especially on new construction jobs. So those type of relationships, they start out for me as, will you function? Will you show up and do what you said you would do? Because I know you're going to bill me at some point in time. And I want to pay you. I just want the problem gone. That's what I want. Will you show up and do that? And then if you do it enough, we're going to be friends. That's just inevitable. Do you have any relationships like that? No. Well, and that's what I've noticed with my relationships. You know, when we were starting this thing off, we're going to say some similarities between how relationships similar, but also how you stay similar in relationships. And I, man, I'm the way you describe my relationships are monogamous. I I go through life with I I I stick to one. I'm I'm a real glom honor when it comes to that. Uh, a what? Like I'll glom on. Glom on. Yeah, like you Just you start hanging out term? with me, I'm hard to get off. Oh, okay, you're clingy. <laughs> I, I guess you're so. clingy. All right. I really am. Which okay. you know, I I see this in some areas. It works out. That's a great thing. You know, as far as a, a, a passionate sexual relationship, <laughs> you know, monogamy is fantastic. Not to say that it's the same thing for everybody. Like I don't think you Hefner would ever want to trade places with me. But hey, you know what? I wouldn't do it either. Because I feel I know my my personality. My personality is I'm more one friend, 100%, as opposed to 100 friends, 1%. That can be confusing, though, because I, I know we lived a high school life where popularity involved how many people can I get to like me. And and then, you, you know, I, I remember kind of having to work myself out of this. You'll start valuing people not on the connection that you have with them, but on the fact that other people are seeing you connect with them, right? It becomes this social currency, this idea of popularity. Um, and I don't know that we walk that off ever. And you can kind of see that now in social media. You see that reach for more and more. But the value that I've learned in later in life is you don't need a whole lot of friends that only go an inch deep. You need a couple friends that will take you a yard deep when needed. That is what I've kind of learned to to be a better model to aspire towards in friendship. Grow in depth, not in breadth. And and that is where I got stuck. It's funny you mentioned high school because I've as we've been talking about this episode uh, for the last day or two, I've really been reflecting back on where my relationships, friendships, how they started, what got me here, what made me this. And what happened to me in high school has a lot to do with that. You know, right after I turned 16, I got a DUI. So I got no wheels. 
And then shortly after that, I got my license back, and a month later, I lost it again. So I went through all high school with no no way to get myself around. And so I really decided that, that what I had to do. You were friend for a ride. I, I kind of. You were like, like hitching your way through a I had I, I needed a ride or die. Like I had yeah. to have someone that when I needed a ride, they were there. I, I I had to either I either needed to have a hundred people that I would have to call and maybe one would show you up. You needed one reliable person. I needed one yeah. person that was always going to get me around. Right. And in that reciprocation for that, I found myself like I would sit by and wait on a night where maybe I would have scheduled something with someone else. But I'm like, nah, this dude's been giving me a, a ride to school. All you week. believe in reciprocity? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, if he needs if he needs me to be here to go hang out on a on a Friday or Saturday, because nobody likes driving around by yourself. You know, I'm no, talking if you go cruise around your small. Uh, town, yeah, when you're in high school, do you remember in high school if you'd have a Friday night where you didn't have anything to do? Mm-hmm. Oh man, you that did. is painful, dude. That's like somebody just hits you in the solar plexus with a sledgehammer. It's Friday night and you got nothing to do. Whoa. So if you had given me a ride to school for the last week, the last then, month. Then I automatically got a Friday night I, I, I'm default. right here. Like, I, yeah. That was the way I felt. Okay, it, that seems fair. It, it pushed me into a little bit of this sidekick mentality. Right. I, right. I definitely spent my formidable years on you know building relationships, building one relationship that I knew me and that other person, ride or die. Like we can count on each other. We're going to be together, and we're going to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished together. And I, I rode that friendship in, until uh, up until the time I met my wife. Did it introduce you to monogamy? Is that was that where you found there to be this great return for you in monogamy? It's a good question. I because I, I kind of because is that truly monogamy? Can can you be a monogamous with friends? I, I I don't even really understand if that term applies. Well, it, it doesn't entirely. Like I said, this is something I'm just starting to blanket across what I've seen myself do with relationships throughout my life for various reasons. And some of it, I, I totally believe it's personality. I do think some people come in with a personality to initiate and start lots of relationships. A power to them. That's not better or worse. I think there's also people like me that are here to allow people to come to them and get picked to be in relationships. Yeah. You, you're going to have a yin and a yang in every aspect. You, you told me this, uh, so going back to monogamy, you told me, t- tell me the story about how you met your wife and like your approach to, to how you've made friends, other than needing to bum a ride. Yeah. You have another approach. What is that? I, I reach out as little as possible. Uh, I, I, as I just said, I'm not the initiator. But I put myself in a position to be initiated onto. So the way I met my wife was I would just show up to class, as, sit as close to her as possible. Well, you've established an attraction. Let's go back to this. Yeah, where, yeah. where are you? Where are we? Are we in college, high school? Yeah, no, college, second college semester, UCO. Where? We're in one of those uh, worthless little throwaway, uh, oh, what do they call them, elective classes. An elective class. Yeah, where uh, they call it, it was, high, that's I called high it margin. It was called it's a high margin event in college. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I believe in everything that this title speaks to. But what was the class? Wellness and positive lifestyles. Yeah, so they were playing a <laughs> yoga teacher like twelve bucks an hour and billing you at one hundred and fifty an hour. I know. I, I wish it don't it matter. Was that you met your wife. It though. wasn't even that good. Right. There was like this wellness book they'd given you. Okay, but so yeah, did that's you notice where... your wife on day one? Did she stand out to you? You can answer this really wrong now. I realize this. <laughs> she had been standing out to me for months. So you show up your every semester and you look around your classes to see if there's anybody in here I'm going to be interested in. All right. Yeah. And yeah. so from the beginning of that class, she was my one. From the moment I met, saw her, um, I said, I'm going to get, I'm going to sit close to her. Yeah. And okay. I, but she wasn't the only one I was doing with that at the time. You were it's looking not for like, candidates. You were, yes. you, you were in the marketplace looking for something to dance with. Yes. And then, and, and this is where, you know, you just allow what's men come to you to come to you. So you, you, in your mind, you think, all right, I'm in these classes. Let's say I got four classes. Somewhere in these classes, there's a girl I'm probably going to engage with or interact with. Is that fair? Fair enough. Okay. And, and and it's not going to be me. I'm not going to go chase them down and come out with some line. So you truly believe in attraction. Yes. Attraction, not that you generate or manufacture. Attraction that is just gravitation towards you. Yes. And that is fine. Again, that's where I think that that comes from different personalities. All right, all right. So and then you, I think some people feel like they have to be the ones going to attraction, and then there's some people who are pulling it in. It's right. a, I guarantee you right. it's probably so your, 50 So your game, is. or I think young kids call it Riz now. Oh, really? You, Riz. All yeah, right. I think that's talking smart. My Riz was proximity. Yeah. You played like a mime-style Riz. Mm-hmm. Yours was just be a stable 
consistent force near somebody, and if the attraction is there, then they will create the energy to offset what I have dangled right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, take I me like, back to the class. So you're learning about the four food groups. Yeah, well, the four food at an excessively overpriced rate. Else. Not paying much attention except just waiting for her to say hi. And then uh, on my 19th birthday, I uh, decided I was sick of my hair. I didn't want it blowing around in the wind anymore. I didn't even want to mess with it. Didn't want to think about it. So I shaved all of it off. And then when I went to class that day, after months. So she had not known you as bald? No. Now, are you horseshoeing yet at all? No. What what is this noggin looking like? Okay, so the troops in the front were starting. They were were white flagging? No, that's not right. At 19, I really had no signs. Oh. It was about 22. So you just, When I stopped buzzing it and I went to skin shaving, okay. that was when I noticed the troops were receding in the front. That All was right. like 22, 23. Okay. So, so at 19, I just hated the wind hitting my curly hair and turned into a bozo, <laughs> bozo the clown wig, man. That's where I ran around. I so would your gel head, it down and try to make it look pretty and good. I'd have hairspray and everything head in the world to make my hair not move. And I'd hit this Oklahoma wind on one side, and it would explode one side of my head. <laughs> like one side still be down. So your head would inflate in the wind. Yeah. It would consume it would the air and yeah. not give it back. That's exactly what it looked like. Excellent. And after years of fighting with that, I just uh, – and this was – you know, we're talking 1996, 97. There weren't a whole lot of bald people. I, I will, I will say cool I was yet. on the pioneers of running around with no, no hair on the head. But after I did that, it, two things happened that day. One, yeah, the, the head shaving. But there was a coincidence that happened on her end. She had just had a nephew born that day. And she had found out about it right before class. And lo and behold, she was excited to tell someone about it. Well, guess You were there. Right and guess whose birthday it happened to be. Yeah. So it was this weird little, hey, my nephew was born today. She's excited about it. Really? Today's my birthday. And, and for some reason, like in that moment, we might as well just got married. We should call you. We hardly got very separated from that point. So, uh, but again, this kind of speaks to what I'm talking about with monogamy. I I, I find someone, I latch on, and uh, I'm hard to get rid of. You can even put that back to my high school girlfriend. I think your style of game is like a paper towel. You're just waiting to soak it up. You're standing around somebody, waiting for them to spill something that you can come in and soak up. That's a very interesting technique. And it's like I said, it's worked for me. It doesn't make me a lot of friends. Um, well, a lot there, of friends is kind of a myth. Again, a lot of friends. How many friends can you have? And at what point in time is a friend really more just a name you know and somebody you talk to at one point in time? Like, well, they, like again, that's what we're saying. They develop over time. See, it was real easy for me. High school, I need a ride. I've got my ride or die. Shortly after that, you got your roommate friends. You know, my same ones that kind of had maybe been giving me right around when I was in high school. Now I've got one or two of those as a roommate friend. And then that's still a similar relationship. Yeah. Um, you, you really bond close together in that. Share life, fight over cleaning duties. Yeah, it's, it's a precursor to what it's going to be like to have, you know, a, a, an eventual long-term life partner. And then when I went from those roommate-type friends, moved right in with my wife, that was whenever my friend's journey really started to take a different turn. It starts to look more like what you develop as your friend's group, not so much what gets put in front of you because you showed up at school. Some of it comes from work. Some of it comes from now I've got a spouse and we are kind of in agreement that we will not leave each other alone to a certain degree. Right after I got married, I just didn't have friends for a while. That's just kind of how I roll. Like Isn't that for, weird? For a long time. I would say that most of my friends at that point in time became work friends, mm-hmm. which is another place you, you gain friendships, right? And some of those are a little bit coerced. Mm-hmm. There's some people at the workplace that you wouldn't be kicking it with. Were you not bound by you know this, bri- this, this bride's price of a dowry that becomes a salary you both share? You probably wouldn't be hanging out with them. Not that they're bad people, but- we don't all gravitate to like kinds. You know, it, it's it's a curious thing what makes people friends with one another. But work can can really create some interesting relationships. But you will, you're going to be there a lot, and slowly those friendships are going to start to form. And for me, it was always people that were up for a laugh. 
And so if, if we were laughing about something, that, that was kind of my version of, of, of the paper towel role you played with your wife. If, we, if we're laughing together, we're going to be friends. It's just a matter of time. And that, if, if you can find commonality in that humor, to me, that always meant, all right, this is something that is similar to me, and therefore I will be around it more because I like the way it resembles me. And so even in those work relationships, you know, some are in your peer groups. There's that grand myth with your employees when you're a manager that you can't be their friend, which I always thought was one of the real misnomers in the workplace. Because if, if you want to work for somebody, if you're an employee and you're looking to work hard, what, you want to work for a friend. You would want to work for a friend, right? A friendship that has boundaries the way any friendship should. But I always thought that was one of the greater myths when they start teaching you about management theory is that your employees should not be your friends, which really means your employees should not be allowed to exploit you in a way that would favor them over others. But that shouldn't happen in any relationship. So if you put proper structure to a friendship, which means there's no exploitation, it means that you're not calling in late just because you, you and I you know, like to BS about the Cowboys game. If there's appropriate boundaries there, then really I would think that your supervisor should be a great friend. You want to work harder, longer, and more engaged with people you like. And that makes sense. As long as boundaries are applied, I think your boss can be a great friend. Doesn't always happen that way, but it's not a bad idea to shoot for from a leadership role. It's really not. People are going to work harder for you if they happen to enjoy your company. Yeah, the boss is tough, though, because have you, well, have you ever been good friends with one? No, most of my bosses, I would say, uh, they were lukewarm relationships. I would call them in-law-style relationships. And so, you know, in-laws, you don't get a pick, um, but you slowly, you, you grow to love them. And I think that's kind of how the majority of the bosses leaders, bosses, whatever whatever term you want to call to the whatever hierarchy. The dude told me to go somewhere, I went there. That guy. Um yeah, I I never really had what I would call um a, a relationship that I would consider a, a true friend outside of work. Um uh, I never reached that. Um a lot of them had big age gaps for me. Ooh, and, yeah. and that that was a challenge for for me, right? I was in my 30s mostly working for people in their 50s. And I kind of followed that through the majority of my career. I had about a 15-year a gap between whoever was managing me. And so I, I never, I guess I never, from a peer perspective, never really had a connection. Uh, would I call them friends? Yeah, I would still, I would call all of them friends uh, to varying degrees. But you're going to have some relationships in a workplace that that are really all over the spectrum of friendship. You just don't get to pick and choose. You do get to pick and choose your engagement. That is always within your choice. Yeah, I think what will hold you back from a boss or a work friends is, to me it did a little bit, is how much can you be open? You know, you've got to hold back some of your own personality, some of your own interests, things that you do when you're at work. And to let that out outside of work, you know, that could be, that could be detrimental. I, I've had various jobs where uh, you know some of my extracurricular activities outside of work weren't going to fit with the drug testing policies they had, and so you've got to hide a whole aspect of yourself from anybody who would want to talk to you or hang out with you. So I think a lot of people, when you roll into a work setting before you can start making friends, there's this guardedness that just holds it back from even being possible. To to because to be truly friends, you've got to share a lot of aspects of your life. Uh, a weird thing, um, it sounds real, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, derelict kind of way to say it, but uh, you you got to do the same drugs that your friends do, or you're really not going to hang out. Mm, that's interesting. You know, if you, if you I know this is right, you know, if I was drinking, somebody who, who was going to hang out with me was going to have to be a drinker. You, you, you weren't going to run around sober talking about Dungeons and Dragons while somebody else was getting wasted and losing their control. I always thought it was it was kind of challenging with with employees. You uh, you were always you know you wanted to connect with them, and then but then you would have personalities that that were your personality didn't gel with theirs. There was abrasion between the two of you, and you still had to navigate that. Uh, you still had to show up and and cordially say how are you. 
You still had to engage with them with whatever work function they had going on. And and so to to a degree, I think work friends bring a level of civility that maybe more society could use. And so whether or not I was your friend or not at work, I knew you, I was acquainted with you, I did my best to address you in a polite manner. I was civil. And I, I think that having that having relationships that are civil is very important because not everybody's going to be your friend. And outside of that friendship, you should be civil with those around you. And I think work always, it kept me in a good practice of making eye contact with people, with greeting people in the morning, uh, with going into conflict resolution, knowing and understanding that I have a relationship with people was also helpful as well. And so the, the civility in the workplace and I don't have it now as an entrepreneur. That is one part of the workplace that I kind of like. I, I, I really I miss that a little bit, that knowing that you're going to go to some place where you're going to have civil engagement with, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, over the time of a month. It was it was an enjoyable amount of, of civility that I don't really have as an entrepreneur now. No, you know, I miss that a bunch from uh, from where we work together in, uh, in, the, in the cat network. Those the, I met some of the uh, most enjoyable people that I could go run into and, and spend hours of my day with. You still wonder what they're doing now. Some I, I try to stay in touch with some. You know, a little bit you do, a little bit you don't. You can't that's, that's the other thing. Like you don't even really get to pick what relationships you do and don't hold on to. You know, there are a whole lot of people in my life right now that I probably haven't had contact with in years, but that. It doesn't mean that I like them any less. It doesn't mean that if there was any opportunity right now, I would like to sit down with them. But those opportunities don't just open up. And when you start realizing how the small percentage of of people that you that you run into and then actually have the opportunity for a lasting relationship, my grandpa used to say, you know, friends can be hard to keep and to make, but you can't ever have too many of them. Yeah. Now I never subscribed to that, <laughs> but I I can see. How uh, how some people would would appreciate that work friends got me through a lot because after after a marriage that's all you it's have. tough to have yeah, for have. me for the way I do friends yeah. like honestly my best friend my my roommate mm-hmm. like, all that shifted over into my wife which is a great way to do it I, there's nothing better than being best friends with your life partner to me put me into a place where I let the other male friendships in my life sort of wane. Which you have for other reasons. You have for reasons that are different than, well, you all, everybody than has the relationship that you have with, with females or your wife, right? There, when, when you've been growing as a male and you've always had male friends and then you hit marriage and as soon as you hit marriage for the first time in 25 years, you now no longer have males in your life. It's, it's, there can be, this is what I experienced. It felt like a desert for a minute. And to be honest with you, I've always been okay with being alone. It, it's not something that – I think your life's always better with friends, but it's also there will be chapters in your life. Uh, I was telling you when I went to grad school, I went two years in my life where I almost didn't have friends. I went from a party environment in undergrad to grad school, and it, I just – I went zero friends. And I did that for two years. It was almost a monk existence compared to where I came from. And that was fine. Uh, it, it worked well for me in that time. It was almost a detox is the way it worked out for me. But there there will be chapters where you've got a lot of friends. There will be chapters where you have no friends. And then there will be a lot of space in between those. If, if you can have a couple of good friends as a grown male, you're doing really well. And I, I had a, one of my dads illustrated for me this for me. Uh, we went to a, a Mustang race. He's in a Mustang club. And he'll let you sit co-pilot as he rips it around the track. And it's oh. cool. Yeah, it's it's really one of the better roller coaster rides I've ever been on. He's got an 08 Roush something other. It's got some other important names. I'm sure a, a car person would do a better description of this. It's an expensive Mustang, and it goes fast. And we'll leave it at that. And he's a really fun guy to drive with. This is a guy that's been driving sports cars for 40 years. So he's got, you know, you know when you get in the car with Grandpa, and not, not grandpa, you know, when grandpa's losing his faculties. Like, the grandpa you knew at the younger ages when he was just a soft, 
well-developed force in your life. It's like going around the track with him. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm talking to him about, you know, as, as I sit there and we, we've done our lap around the track and we're, we're sitting in the lawn chair and, and his friends are coming up to him and, you know, he's, he's talking to him and they're talking about the latest Mustang and stuff that doesn't, it doesn't interest me in the least bit. As his friends step away, I'm like, ah, oh, man, this, this has really built some connections for you. And he looked at me, he almost teared up in this moment, and I really felt the power of the moment. He said, I never knew when I was tinkering with cars and I joined this club that in doing that I would build the best friends. Not only the best friends, but friends I've known for 40-plus years. He's like, these people became my family, and they did that over a topic we love. The conduit was the Mustang, and he says it brings us all together once a year. And once a year, we get to see what was the latest. I saw you last April. What's happened since? And he's like, these relationships have come become closer to me. Really, the only analogy he had was family. And, and, and this guy goes to church, and he has a lot of relationship structure in his life. But that Mustang Club and that ability to bond over a topic that they're passionate about had really provided him with what he called lifelong friends. And I thought that was really powerful. See, and I have a hard time. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a friend. You say he sees them once a year? He sees them once a year. See, yep. he's not going to call any one of those guys to come help him move. He's not going to call them in, in some negative situation he that might. only a friend would show up for. He, uh, maybe I'm wrong, might. but uh, like nobody I talk to once a year would. I've and, never, and I've never say, had a group of friends over a topic that I was hyper-passionate about. Like, I don't even have an equivalent for that. I don't have a rabid hobby in my life. This guy's on Mustang after Mustang. This is a staple in his life, almost another appendage of his existence. And so that's hard for me to even understand that. I don't have an equivalent desire. So then for, to lay a relationship on top of that, it's got to be very powerful. Uh, yeah, that, to, to have common interest and to build a friendship from that. Uh, yeah, uh, same here. I've never really done it unless you just your common interest would be the way you know we live life together. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention on here, you know, when we say, oh, you know, no friends, like, I don't want that to echo wrong with a lot of people in my life that are f- very important that are friends to me. But I, I just had gotten to a point where I realized uh, a few years back, you know, I dove real hard into, like I said, just my wife is my friend. This is the relationship I put most of my interest in. And I got myself wiggled into a point where on a night whenever I had two Thunder tickets and if my son didn't go with me, I didn't have anybody else to call. I didn't I didn't have a friend that I could count on and call up and say, hey, you want to go to this game with me? I need somebody to fill a seat with me. I, I would try through multiple people, some of the acquaintances I know, still great friends. It's just not exactly the kind of friend I'm talking about. And it was weird to wake up in your 40s as a grown man. And yes, I have somebody I could call right now and have a great 10-minute conversation with. But I don't have someone that I'm going to go interact with and see every day like I did when we used to have our work friends. Mm -hmm. Until we started running into our gym friends. Now, this this is a whole weird relationship to me. As it's, I real, started, it's real interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's, real it, it's got its own dynamic. Like, it does. What I, what I, like no other. Like what I, Well, here's the only way I could say it. It's like, because I love to put two things together and make a new one. So to me, a gym friend, it's a little bit like a work friend. Someone you see every day, and you're going to see them again tomorrow. But not so much where you're spending all day talking to them. So that brings in the element of like the elevator friend. <laughs> you know that person you're only on the elevator with for like four floors and you got to sit there and debate am I going to have a, a 45 second conversation or am I going to ignore them today like to me that's a whole lot of what the gym friend brings it brings that elevator friend aspect like are we going to have a 45 second conversation today or are we going to hide our eyes from each other but you've got to do it every morning <laughs> five six days a week and and that that was a different kind of um I don't know a loose friend an acquaintance. I, I think about maybe a prison friend. Ooh. So if you could imagine you were doing maybe, you know, five years in a federal prison and there was somebody that was like in the facility near you but wasn't right next to you and you saw them one time a day guaranteed at the uh, cantina or whatever the terms are. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think about. And, you know, gym relationships, have they changed that over the, over the time that I've been involved in gyms. Is when I first started going to a gym, 
Nobody had anything in their ear. Zilch. We were praying that they would play good music on on the radio, and we would hear it over the speaker, and that's what you worked out to. And so everybody was available for conversation. And the way I work conversations, if you give me eye contact, then I'll give you conversation. If you don't give me eye contact, then my natural assumption is you don't care for conversation. So I'm walking around with a bounty of conversation, right? I got more conversation I know what to do with. So every person that walks past me, if they give me the eye contact, then I give them a little sip of the conversation. And then I see where they like to go with that. Do they want a little more? Do I find them interesting? Is this somebody I'm not really caring to engage with? But that used to be my guiding light around the gym. And you go to the same gym over and over again. We're talking late 90s, early 2000s. You know everybody, which is great because it's always great to go to a place where everybody knows your name, except for that hour-long workout. It can go to two hours. The conversations and don't stop. you have no real way to tuck yourself off into your AirPods, right? So now fast forward to 20, 30 years later, you and I work out every day at a gym where we walk around with people that we see almost daily, some of which we don't know. And the AirPods are part of this. And I've been, in recent months, I'm trying to break through it because I, I, I just feel it's ridiculous. We see these people every day. And we have this little piece of plastic wadded up in our ear. And because of that, we don't engage with them. And so I'm trying to fight through this. But here's what I've noticed. I've reached out a couple times now. That initial, like, hey, how are you? How you doing this morning? Something to just say, hey, I recognize you. I see you right there. There you are. Here I am talking to you. But the AirPods are in. And they won't give me eye contact. And so I'll end up talking to somebody who nearly doesn't recognize my existence. They will look straight ahead. It's not really their fault. They're in the AirPods, and we're now in a culture where it's kind of been established. We're all going to walk around in in really close proximity, ignoring each other's existences, which is just odd to me. Yeah, that's so I agree. The headphones have killed communication. They're they're not the only one. But to to speak to what you're saying um, with – your difference in the way you handle the gym. See, as I mentioned, my monogamous approach to relationships, I'm the kind of guy, when I go in that gym, I either want to talk to one person the whole time I'm working out, or I want to talk to nobody. Nothing in between. Nothing in between. That's that's the extreme. That's what leads me to a little bit of where I'm at. And I've seen your your initiating conversation go wrong. And then earlier, whenever I talk about just being there, being proximity, I'm the one people approach. You'll notice when I'm in the gym, I take my AirPods out and I purposely make eye contact or look for eye contact with anybody who does want to speak to me. So I'm not going to say a word whenever I walk by you at the gym, but my ears are going to be open and my eyes are going to be up. And if you feel like saying something to me, here I am. Yeah. And that's how I walk through the gym without having that anxiety within me of, oh my gosh, do I need to go talk to them? Do I need to go say something? I just saw them four times yesterday. Do we need to talk again? That, that, the thing that scares me the most is that I start a new gym conversation. It goes great. The next day, I run into them again. I can't repeat the conversation. I, I, I can't repeat oh, you think that it's magic. Necessary. Like you, I can't just keep every day uh, having. The, like I yeah, can't do this over it. and over. Yeah. And and so once I've done it once, it feels weird. The next day, oh well, now I'm ghosting them like I don't even know. Them. Yeah. You know, the day before we had a five minute conversation where we both really connected on how we felt about what you can't do issue. that every day. And since I can't do you that can't. every day, I don't even want to do it once. Nobody expects you to do that every day, though. That's really not expected. So once you know a name, now it's just, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And then on occasion, you, you go for that deeper conversation about whatever. Hopefully they heard something on the podcast, and now we get to talk about it. I, I like that. I know your name. I'm saying hello to you. If you care to engage with me, I'm here. So I'm not too far away from where you are. I feel like when I don't acknowledge people, I'm doing something incorrect. Walking past another human, especially one that I see nearly every morning over a year's time frame, to walk past that person and not say, hey, how are you, or acknowledge them, 
feels incorrect, but I've kind of adapted to it. I mean, yeah, have you ever the, been? That's have you ever done it? culture now. Have you ever done it? Done and, what? and not said anything, and then let the other person not say anything. I've uh, got a oh, couple. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, I do in it all particular time. in our gym, it's there, just I know that there's at least two that are about like me. If I if I didn't have you, they are of the mindset like I don't want to talk to anybody, or I want to talk to one person and just work out with. Them I don't time. think, but I don't think it's a. I don't want to talk to anybody. It's a, I don't want to deal with the pain involved in having to breach who this person is and tell them who I am, and I don't want there to be any rejection because it it does it, it sucks when when I'm because uh, I would tell you I don't rejection is not a huge concern of mine because I know in general people are friendly, you know I, I would apply that to the vast majority of people on this planet if they do something that is rude they didn't mean to do it. Uh, so when, when I know when I'm I'm looking at somebody and I'm going to say good morning to them or something in that extent, and they don't make eye contact with me, it, it's just it's not there. They're not trying to be mean. The moment was missed. They probably have anxiety from this big ugly dude coming at them already. You know that's probably they're probably already kind of like curling away from that. And so I don't I, I don't fear the rejection because I know there's no malice behind it. I, I think when you're when you're walking around this planet trying to be nice to people, trying to be cordial. When they don't give you that in return, it's not really something that they're trying to do because they're mean or they're shy. In these cases, man, they just got Post Malone in their ear and they don't care to turn it off. And, and, and it's, it's become the accepted culture. But I will say, man, there's the, those late 90s, early 2000s gyms where I knew everybody. If I, if I had a pick between walking around in anonymity or knowing them all, I'd know them all. Every 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 chance I could get, I'd know them all. It's just a better place to exist when we know each other. For good, worse, and everything in between, walking around, being really close to strangers, that's a weird existence. It's kind of like going to a Thunder game and being alone in, in the pile of 20,000 people. What a weird circumstance that is, but it happens all the time. I, I used to do it a bunch. I don't know if anybody's ever gone to as many Thunder games alone as I have. Is it therapeutic? <laughs> I just What's the value over, in that? Like, <laughs> for a long time, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a friend that I could get to come to the games with me. Um, it, I'm like you. I've, I've really never minded being alone. I'm an only child, so it's okay if I don't have someone there chatting with me. Uh, I understand the weirdness of it. <laughs> Whenever, because I'll have lunch by myself. I've had a lot of people that say that they just hate to go sit in a restaurant and sit at a table by themselves and eat. Yeah, it could become a confidence. So, I, and I think what would have helped a lot in those times, uh, I mean, they might even have an app like this now. I haven't even looked around. But if you had something like Tinder, but for friends, you know, I'd just be able to pull up the device. Hey, somebody's within two miles of me looking for an event, looking for something you'd to call do. It, well, you'd call that Friender? Well, this it seems friender. like it makes sense. If okay. it doesn't already right. exist and this is still available. Friender like, for the lonely ones. Problem. Now, okay. I guess the problem is is anything Friender would probably just end up getting overtaken the by The are going to penetrate. It probably so. Maybe yeah. maybe Tinder just kind of cut out the middleman and just knew, yeah. took us right where we were supposed to be with that. But honestly, in a utopian friend-making society from someone like me, it would be so much easier to have that – sort of non-committal uh, what would you be like a one night stand with friends so you want to just not be alone or you want to meet somebody that you're going to uh, you know create a relationship out of what is the goal with friender all right that's a good question because i don't even know if it's something i would want it's a, to an extent it might just be me trying to match up with societal norms that say you can't go hang out with eighteen thousand yeah. people by yourself but honestly i don't mind it and I've done it many times, and if I look inside me, I don't really have a problem with it. If I look outside from social conditioning, I start questioning if I've done something wrong or not. And that's where I would kind of like to throw on, you know, diagnoses don't count. There's really no such thing as antisocial. There are just some people who are more hermit mentality. More hermit. Yeah, for yeah. whatever it is that's put them in that comfortable spot, and there's no reason to feel that that uniqueness or individuality is wrong to you. But... In this, in this friend episode, when you start looking down, you lean into that too much, and next thing you know, you don't have any same-species friends. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you, four, we're talking about four-legged friends or reptilian friends or— Well, that's why I think that— um, Wagtail-on-demand friend. Oh, man, I would like to think the man's best friend would be the dog, but who knows what they could start going I mean, to. I, I've, I've wondered, as I've watched the prominence of the dog— 
swell up. Like in, in my life, a dog is coming up. Like they are on the up. Because the dog that I grew up with always slept outside. It had some cheap food from Walmart. It did have it its own house. Literally had like, you know, the donkeys that couldn't make it to Perina got ground up and thrown into this meat. And and then dogs kind of got in the house. And now you're liable to catch a dog at a Home Depot or a Lowe's or at the mall. I Riding mean, first class. Dogs are coming up. And I'm just I've I've been a little curious as, as to whether or not that's humans falling away from one another. And dogs becoming the natural replacement, they're a lot less complicated, and they always love to see you. It's it's good, solid companionship. What, what led me to get one is they say pet owners live longer. So whether that speaks to social connection, keeping you living longer, or just having purpose within keeping another animal fed and alive. But one way or another, I, I buy into almost anything that makes sense that says it's going to make you live longer. Yeah. I got a lot of stuff to figure out. It might take me a while. Or something <laughs> you've already committed to that works well as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I never had one before. There's smiles but... on demand. Like, they, oh. you know you know what a dog is. It's smiles on demand. They're always ready to go with you. Complete acceptance. They yeah. don't know if you just said something stupid or They're... had a bad day or got too drunk last night. Very low tolerance. Their standards are low. They don't ask for much. I mean, they'll chew on old shoes you know they recycle their own residue like it's just it's the most accommodating pile of smile that you could throw under four legs and give to man and it's the only one the only animal that sided with man and you could have the dog cat argument but we all know cats are just no one would say that cats yeah, connect like cat that. ain't rowing out hard with you uh, and, and cat, I'm, cats liable to, to <laughs> that moment that you don't make it out <laughs> A cat's liable to use you as his own fuel for the next adventure. See, and I, I see. I wouldn't. I don't have. I don't have a cat, but my dog does. <laughs> like I've said before, I'm I'm monogamous. Like I'm I'm a, I'm a one pet kind of man. Mm-hmm. But I did realize that my dog probably needed more in his life than just me. So I did get my dog a cat, and that's about as far as I went into the pet friend realm. And I'll tell you this too: it will be as far as I ever go. I I'm not gonna get another pet friend and, and the way it stands right now it can be tough to be in a relationship that you know you're going to see the death of at the end of it and getting into them you know everybody loves a puppy you've got all these high hopes loving a life that's about to be lived with your animal and that's all you see at the beginning it slowly wanes, and then you get to a point where you start realizing you're on the back end. And that, to me, is where I'm at, and that's going to be hard to watch. And as much as I'm trying to put humor into it, um, oh, like the other day I was taking him to go get a bath, and when we were coming back, well, I have to load him up into kind of a high spot. And, uh, and he hadn't jumped up in a while. You know, the, the thing that maybe gets them all, I don't even want to speak it into existence, but they say that they start getting a little bit limited on movement. We've gotten to a point now, he kind of will when we get to a high spot he's got to go to. He almost just looks at me. He's like, do I even have to fake like I'm going to jump? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to pick me up this yeah, time. Do like, we not know the deal? Can we get this over with? Like, I, and I do. I've gotten to where I'm not going to make him sit there with, with this. Ooh, one, two. Nope, not this time. Because they'll sit there and fake yeah. it for you. And, and I was like, you know you're not doing it. Let's, let's just get you up here. Maybe next time I won't even make you go through the shame of faking. Yeah. But it's it, that's that's kind of a funny moment to look at. But you start to see your own dog's mortality in those moments. And and um, that's going to be a hard friend that uh, I, I'm quite certain I'll probably see the end of. Well, you can and, always, and I'm not going around that. You right can always again. buy another one. That's the story with pets. Oh God! But then you fall in love with another one. Easy come, through. easy go. I don't know. I guess it's that's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Ah, they're fun. So there's that a, there's right a there reason why you have them. They're fun. To all the friendships you should you should go for in life. You know, it's it's a lot better uh, to live life when it's shared. Uh, especially when it's good friends, but I don't know. I think we've all, <laughs> all shared life with some bad friends from time oh, to time. Oh man, I've been a bad friend. We've known bad friends. You've been a bad friend. I mean, there's so many ways that friendship goes, ways you didn't intend it to. You got a bad friend right now. Probably not the worst friend, probably not the worst friend you've ever seen, but 
everybody's got a friend that's kind of on that edge. And then I think also you're probably being that friend to somebody. Like in the way this this world connects itself, be a bad friend and, and receive a bad friend in like kind. It, that just seems to be the way this thing works. Yeah, did you, uh, have you been a bad friend? Oh, I, 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 apparently I have, I'm sure. I mean, to say you haven't, that's like running around saying your poo don't smell. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, I mean, you know, I, we've I, all I know been one, both sides. man, it's cringy when I think back. I haven't talked to the, uh, to the best man of my wedding in decades. And uh, honestly, when I look back at, uh, at my behavior at, uh, in my early 20s, uh, I mean, just the drinking alone. I mean, it, it was hard to keep up with me. There was at one point one of my friends after, God knows how long the bender was, but I was still pretty drunk. And he just kind of dropped me off in front of my wife at the house. And he's like, here, he's your problem now. <laughs> I got to a point where I know even my friends would get exhausted You've with been too me. too much maintenance. Yeah. Am I just, no, nah, let's no stop. Let's go. No stop. Let's go. So it was it was tough to maintain that uh, around me, but then you throw on top of that that I just my my concept of cleanliness was if it's too dirty for you, then you get to clean. <laughs> and, oh, nice! And I'm, I hate that I'm even joking about it now because I look back at what I would put my roommate, in particular, the last one I had before my wife, through uh, just piles of dirty dishes, uh, stuff growing on them. Uh, even blowback whenever they try to say that you maybe maybe it was your turn to do the dishes at some point this month (laughs) and just not even want to accept any of that i know i went through those phases i can completely accept um putting up with that but at some point you gotta question like you know is the friendship worth what you're putting up with you know is this juice worth the squeeze because in every friendship i think a good analogy to look at it is it's it's kind of like you you start you're digging a hole, and depending on how deep you dig, how how much you shovel, that's how deep your hole can get to an extent. The depth of a friendship, but you have to realize that the whole time while you're digging that hole, there's going to be outside conditioning and forces that are putting dirt back onto it. Just time in general. Yeah, time, distance, other relationships, different interests, whatever. You know, there's a lot of things that if you're not working to keep that dirt out of the hole. It, it's going to fill up. And I think sometimes to an extent, you've got an option. You've got the shovel in your hand. But I think sometimes the dirt can just pile too big. And Well, I, I think it's also, it's also okay to let the dirt pile up and then go back at a later point in time and pick up a shovel again and start over. Like, I think that's a myth that keeps people apart from one another. There's no penalty because you haven't kept up with each other for whatever time you haven't kept up with each other. Your friship still will exist for the same reasons it, it existed once before. And to an extent, the hole is still there. Share. It's just, and then it's got softer dirt in it. I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's, <laughs> it has layers of dirt in it, but that doesn't mean you needed to have an awareness with all these layers of dirt. They didn't need you. The friendship, it kind of incubated itself for a while. But we all have friends, I think, that we're – on the verge of reaching out and reconnecting with. And I think those are some of those barriers we have, this myth that somebody's mad because I haven't been in touch with you or you haven't been in touch with me. or That, for some reason, that space between us now becomes a reason why we should never try to rekindle any connection we had. And, and I think that's full of lost opportunity. Right? There, there is no harm, nor is there any guilt, in growing away from people over time. That, that takes two parties in the, in the same way the relationship took two parties to begin with. Yeah, it does. It takes two to tango, and by no means should you ever want to be the one who takes on full responsibility or the whole brunt for carrying the responsibilities of a relationship. But don't be scared to go grab it again. It's right there. Go grab it. You, you got a friend that's near you that you're curious about? I mean, how many ways can you connect now? We, we've spent hours talking about social media. You can find anybody and their mom and their uncle that owes you money like if they're all on social media it's kind of easy to reconnect with people now and it's, i'll tell you what else it's easier to do that probably should be taken for use more is people that are just right in front of you i think uh proximity is extremely important as i've mentioned as you have mentioned as you illustrated be a paper towel be a bounty exactly so as as you're around in your own environment look to see who's right in front of you, that Mother Nature, that the earth that was probably, maybe should be the intention uh, for potential 
and 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 see where you can foster with that. And if you're not one who likes to go around with a with a match ready to go light up one of those one of those little kindlings of friendship fires, sit there and be the kindling. Be ready for for anybody to come spark you into into some new connection because there there's joy, there's growth, there's um, a lot to be learned from connecting with one another just as there is by being alone but you got to have a little bit of both and, and then, find your own happy medium but a little of both and it, you know friendships don't necessarily come with commitment either like there's not anything that says if i engage with this person tomorrow or or i engage with them this morning i have to meet that performance back to your example at the gym you don't have to be on stage with a friend that's kind of counterintuitive to a friend a friend accepts you you know, when you're full of joy and you're full of content or when you're just a dry desert, like a friend accepts you in both states. I don't think friends should really be in demand of performance so much as they should kind of be an exercise in awareness towards each other's existence. That's a big part of what we're after in a friendship is is awareness. Awareness and acceptance. That's a, that's a commonality we all share. If each and every one of us have the need to share friendship as if it's a muscle, then go out there and flex your friend muscle in whatever way it works for you. Whether you're doing heavy lifting with just one friend or you're out working cardio, just nodding and saying hi to hundreds of them, get in touch with the public, do it in a way that's comfortable for you and make it good in your life. Go make some friends. Don't use friends. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.